Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we are joined by Barbara Hamilton, a radiologist and physician leader who aims to demystify what life is like as a woman in a male-dominated field. She's also the author of Save Lives, Enjoy Your Own, Finding Your Place in Medicine, and blogs at tiredsuperheroine.com with the goal of patching the leaky pipeline of women aspiring to the traditionally male-dominated specialties like interventional radiology and surgery. Barbara, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And that was quite an introduction there. It seems like you're doing a lot of work, a lot of writing. You have your book, your blog that you're on. You really focus on a lot of these sort of male specialties here. And I'm kind of curious, especially with that in mind, the icebreaker question would be, how are you changing medicine and medical education for the better? Thanks for asking. So as I went through my pathway into medicine, it just struck me again and again how kind of traditional medicine can be. And as a woman going into this field where I thought everyone would be hyper-educated and evolved, it was a little bit surprising at times that, you know, certain fields just weren't billed as being for women. And I think for the greater good of medicine, we need to pull from all of the talent pool, not just half of it. And so it's better for patients. And not only that, but it's better for us as clinicians ourselves when we actually pursue what we want to do most. And so I found that some of this cultural noise was just something that I wanted to educate around and kind of rail against at times. Yeah, I'm not even sure if these are numbers that are constantly mentioned, not ones I'm aware of anyway, as far as which specialties are more dominated. I would think maybe family medicine is probably more at least closer to even or even female dominated, where some of the subspecialties, as you mentioned, surgery, interventional radiology, more so leaning towards male dominated fields. Are there huge diversities within these different breakdowns? There's a huge spread and the male dominated fields are hyper skewed as far as the demographics. So it's really interesting when you take a look at this. I know you're interested in pathology and family medicine. I'm not sure about the numbers for pathology. I think it's still male-dominated. But when you look at all medical specialties, I looked this up when I was writing my book. So in 2017, the data is probably changing by now. It's a little bit older. But for all medical specialties, it was in the lower 30s. Um, for women across all medical specialties. So pediatrics and OB have more than that. And then you have your specialties that are male dominated. So critical care starts to fall into the 20% range. So neurosurgery is in the, you know, maybe around 10 vascular surgery, I think it was 13, 13% female and IR is my specialty. It's only eight to 9% female, depending on the region. And I just don't think there's any reason for that. So I can't speak to all these specialties because I'm not a neurosurgeon, but I felt when I was looking into this and starting to write about my own experience for the benefit of others, I thought, you know, we have a lot to share with each other. And since these specialties have so few women, 
we're often geographically separated. And when you're separated, you can feel isolated. Like you might walk into a clerkship and be really engaged by what you're doing, but not have a female mentor or role model. And then you don't really know, like, is there a reason why there are no women here? I mean, when I was growing up in medicine, that's what I thought. I thought, well, maybe they know something that I don't. You know, when you're growing up in medicine and you're training, it feels like everyone knows more than you. So of course, you know, it's a hierarchical, hierarchical world. You're going to listen to everybody else around you. And they might say things like, this really isn't great for women, or maybe you should do something easier. But that advice doesn't work for everyone. <laughs> Actually, I was kind of curious. So we're going to have audience members that are both male and female listening to this. So from the perspective of, let's say, interventional radiology, what is something that everyone should know? And then what are some maybe special tips that women interested in going into that field should know? Great question. For interventional radiology, you know, radiology isn't part of the curriculum at all institutions. So first of all, I would say if you're going to be an internal medicine physician or a surgeon, you know, the more radiology you can try to grasp, the better. It is a four-year residency. So don't go down to the radiologist and say, oh, I want to learn this on the weekend. Or, you know, people make these comments like they just want to learn something that other people have done a residency for four years. So that's a little bit of a faux pas to be aware of. It's a common one. And the more that you can be familiar with imaging, the better you're going to do at any specialty, really. Like the correlation between radiology and pathology is really powerful. We have a dedicated course, which is like six weeks long just on that. So that's really interesting for those going into those fields. And then for interventional radiology, it can feel like a locker room atmosphere. So I would say you know, for the men in the audience, just to be aware that conveys a level of comfortability and you may just be able to be at ease there more easily and just to try to help your other female colleagues feel comfortable, you know, the classic locker room talk. And then if you're, you know, it's not that you have to walk on eggshells, it's just try to be inclusive. You know, even if a woman or a minority is in the minority in that field, like interventional radiology is not diverse as far as race either just try to be inclusive so that people feel welcome there, basically. It's for the good of our patients because patients do better and they listen to us more when they have physicians who look like them. Basically, everybody is an important part of the team. When I was a resident rotating on interventional radiology, I definitely felt like a part of the team. It's something for women and men to be aware of when they walk in and it literally feels like a men's locker room. It's a subtle sign. It can be a subtle sign that somebody may not feel like they belong there. So just to be aware, I mean, we're not on an even playing field yet. I was going to say, you talk about breaking the boys club. So what are some things that men can do? And I think that covers it very well. Just be respectful and inclusive. And you're not the only one there. Make sure that everyone in that environment is going to be comfortable with how you're acting, how you're speaking. Yeah. And like no cheap shots. I mean, sometimes women will get, oh, you're too short to do this or something like that. You know, it's not true. And everybody... There are some myths about interventional radiology and male-dominated fields that I speak about on the blog. You know, some of them are just myths that you can't be an interventional radiologist unless you fit the stereotype, which is like an extremely tall white or Asian male. I mean, it's just not everybody looks that way. And we can still wield a catheter and a wire and save lives and do all kinds of stealthy things. It's a really fun field. And it basically, what I would say to people who aren't sure if they want to rotate in it is that it kind of feels like video games and 
not to trivialize the importance of the work and what's at stake, but you know, if you like to work with your hands, you need to check out this field. And then specifically for women interested in going to that field, were there some differences there that maybe I missed it? It sounded like there's some good advice for breaking the boys club for getting males and those that are dominating the field right now a little bit more open-minded to letting other minority, whether it be race or gender, be inclusive in the field. But are there special things that women should look for to do, not do in order to really succeed if they're interested in going into that profession? Yeah, times are changing and there are more women entering training programs for my specialty and other, you know, in surgery, they are getting more and more women as well. But my advice, and I write about this on the blog, is you basically have to just be as good as you possibly can. And sometimes it, because preconceived notions and gender bias still exist, sometimes it means just being as perfect as you can. So it's unfortunate, but I think that if you are just focused on what you're doing, focus on the work and try not to let any of these side comments or potentially discouraging things that you hear on the wards, try to focus on the work instead. And that can be a good way to just be the best that you can without getting distracted with this kind of cultural noise I talk about. This episode is brought to you by findarotation.com, where students and preceptors can schedule rotations with ease and security and schedule your next clinical rotation. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. Something that we cover a lot in past episodes, especially in the first season of the show, is really when a student is on the rotation, all right, they've decided that they want to go into, or at least they're exploring their interest in a certain rotation, certain specialty, and just making the most out of it, how to interact with the other students, with the other staff, with your preceptor, getting a good letter of recommendation. Are there special resources or tips that would really help them stand out, as you're saying, to do their best, to make sure that they get recognized in that field? In radiology, you're the doctor's doctor, so it involves a lot of reading. And so that is one of the things that you can do to really shine in between showing up each day and being a team player, which means like showing up on time, grabbing a couple of patients as the medical student or whatever stage you're at. And to the degree that you feel comfortable or stretching yourself, you're going to go follow up on the patients from the day before who had a procedure. You're going to report back to your seniors. You're going to be involved in cases and you know, this is different for different people, but you need to show your interest without being pushy. So if you can ask some questions, but it's a balance, you know, you don't want to distract the primary operator too much either. Sometimes there's more time for teaching and sometimes there's less. That's a little bit of an art form to being like a great student, you know, knowing when is a good time. There's some teaching time, which can be set aside and other times where you're kind of like, just focused on what you're doing and you just need to hang on for dear life and kind of just absorb as much as you can. Another great tip that I've heard from other students and trainees is just talk to the nurses and techs. A really great student is going to speak to every member of the team. So you're not only going to be asking one person all the questions. You're going to go to the nurses and ask about moderate sedation and what they did and how the patient, you know, how the patient's vitals changed or can you figure out why that patient coded? <laughs> we have a lot of sick patients in our, in our specialty sometimes because they're not fit for other therapies and they come from a minimally invasive therapy. 
we're often working on ICU patients. So the nurses can really educate you on some ICU level care, basically. That's their expertise. And then on the technologist side, you basically have specially trained x-ray techs who become IR technologists and they function as like surgical first assist in a lot of institutions. Okay. Yeah. So where there are trainees, the trainee becomes like the surgical first assist and the technologist might have more of a supportive role of like pulling product. So either way, there are people who know a lot about the materials we use, like the different wires and the different catheters and all the different sheets and all the devices. And now it's an amazing time. I mean, the other thing I would say is you can go on YouTube and you can YouTube any device and you'll have a beautiful, shiny video on how to use that device. So you can learn like what an atherectomy, it might be like a cartoon of what the atherectomy device is doing, but that's really helpful to have as a resource. You know, we have these videos online. So the resources are kind of endless. Going back to the books and just reading. So something like IR requisites is a classic that would even use that to study for boards. So that's going to be really great if you could dive into a resource like that. Okay. Perfect. Definitely adding that to the list. It seems like every guest on the show has, you know, slightly different ideas of what resources are going to be the most useful. And especially depending on when they graduated, how long ago it was they took their USMLE or Comlex exams versus their boards for renewal. There can be a great diversity in the different recommended resources. Yeah, or the approach. I mean, books are still relevant. And you know, IR is a hugely innovation-driven field, but you know, these some of these books that have been around for a couple of decades are still relevant because they're going to show you all the basics. Some things have stayed the same. All the while things were being innovated, many things, you know, the basics are still found in those books. So really good place to start. Yeah. Someone with dyslexia, I like the videos more, but definitely good to have a backup book just for reference and easier to look up certain things, make notes, make your own notes based on the books. So I definitely enjoy having those types of resources to share for the audience and to add into the show notes of the episode as well. Well, the books are image rich as well. So like you can just look at the case and study what the image is showing because of course it's radiology. So Mm -hmm. the imaging piece, you need to understand what's going on in the image. So it's very, you know, it's not all about the reading. Then something that a lot of students wonder is just how to determine if their specialty of choice, if they're going into something that's going to be a good fit for them. And you talk about finding your place in medicine. I'm guessing that covers a lot of material. It covers your specialty. It covers the work-life balance. It covers the finances of it. What are some things that you recommend to the mostly student audience as far as how to find your place in medicine? Yeah, I just released a book about this, and it's basically like a user's guide for the medical student who is making this giant career decision. So while you're drinking through a fire hose, you're expected to make this specialty choice, and it can be really challenging, and it's different for everyone. It's so personal. And then, you know, there are a lot of unknowns about work-life balance, as you said, or the financial future when you have these student loans. And so that's why in my book, I wrote the book, it's called Save Lives, Enjoy Your Own, Finding Your Place in Medicine. It goes through various aspects of that decision. So finding your place in medicine, like why is that important? And finding your people in medicine, you know, it may not be as simple or it may not be the same way as you've thought about this before. So 
in a nutshell, I think it's the people you can get nerdy with. There are going to be areas of medicine that you click with and you're really engaged. And there are going to be other areas of medicine that make you feel like a horrible failure. Like, why am I even here? <laughs> I mean, there's some, like when I was going through my medicine rotation, I just felt like everyone was kind of speaking a different language. Everything was a little bit off. And I don't know, you know, it could have there, of course there are interpersonal factors. I talk about these different aspects in the book, but then there may be a rotation where you just kind of click in and you're very engaged. You stop looking at the clock on the wall and you are actually, when you say something, it makes sense to other people. So, you know, there's a, a lot of people like to use the bifurcation of the surgically oriented specialties and the non-surgically oriented specialties and say that there are surgically minded people and, you know, medicine minded people. Yeah. I found that to be the case. And then as you go in your career, if you become a specialist and like a consultant, like I am, you learn to interface with all these different people in the hospital and it's really gratifying, but it's not the same as being a medical student. It's challenging when you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of a specialist for six to eight weeks. It's a big challenge. So, you know, hats off to everybody going through it. Now I, <laughs> it's a real challenge. And so the book is there to kind of hold your hand through that decision and also to talk about some of the difficulties that you could potentially encounter along the way. Yeah. I remember for me, it was surgery. Every time I went in there, just brain was not wanting to work <laughs> at 100%. Yeah. It sort of, it did not match what I mentally or physically thought was going to be in my future. So that was not one that I had an easy time engaging with the material and with the preceptor. And just, I guess some of them, you can find out very quickly that that's not going to be a good fit for you. But then other times, especially if you're in a school with limited resources, as I was, you might not have the ability to do a rotation an externship, a clinical rotation in certain specialties that you might be interested in, that you might be a good fit with. So you'll never really know, except for maybe watching some videos or reading someone else's blog post about it. It just seems like students might not have the full tool belt in order to make these decisions as accurately as they could. Mm -hmm. And we're lucky in times of COVID that we have YouTube because I have seen a lot of like specialty specific videos and virtual shadowing sessions. And I'm actually doing one this afternoon and I don't feel that old, but when I was doing this, that didn't exist yet. So it's definitely a benefit. Everybody going through this right now, you're definitely going through a challenging time. And it's one that we're all going to be telling our grandchildren about. So just give that some respect that it's not easy what you're doing, but yeah, there are still opportunities. And when COVID, hopefully when COVID is under control, you know, you will be able to go do those visiting externships and things that we used to be able to do. And in the meantime, you can't be penalized if you can't do it. So just to take the pressure off yourself that way and know, I mean, in another way, it's an amazing time to be alive because if you don't have a specific role model who looks like you, you might be able to find them on the internet. And you might even be able to like DM them and they might answer. So it's pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. It's LinkedIn's pretty cool. been pretty useful for that. And in, in my opinion, sometimes Facebook, I don't do Twitter and Instagram very much, but I guess everyone has their platform that they're comfortable with. And then some physicians don't want to talk to you on anything. So you have to find another one. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are an open book. Some people are busy, but the people who answer they can be very helpful and you can forge a connection. It's pretty amazing. You can forge a connection out of nothing, you know, out of nowhere. 
Yeah, I love it. And kind of a shameless plug for what we were talking about a second ago, the clinical rotations aspect during COVID, since many students, not just medical students, healthcare in general, haven't been able to really gain that clinical experience that's usually mandatory during the time of COVID. There are some products coming out that are hopefully going to be aimed at solving that, such as Find a Rotation, which is a project I've been working on for a long time. But audience that's been listening to the show might be slightly aware of it. I guess we could talk more about it after the interview. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of to wrap up here, there's a lot of different topics that you discuss. Now we've gone over, if we want to go into a certain rotation, what to do, how to make the best out of that rotation, what to do specifically if you're male versus female in a male-dominated specialty. But now let's go a year or two ahead, and these students are now within their residency or maybe getting towards the end of it, depending on which specialty they go to. What are some things that they need to be concerned of here as far as you know, finances, work-life balance? How do they cover that? I think the important thing about training is to always remember that it's finite. And you know, it is really, it's a concentrated time. It's like people like to use marathon versus sprint. I feel like training is both at the same time. It's like you're running that 26.2 miles as fast as you can. And like, (laughs) so for me, I did a diagnostic radiology residency. So that meant that people would say, oh, you know, joke about how the hours were easier than other specialties. You know, I might go home at five, but I was expected to read for hours per night. And in the medicine residents were, they were all hanging out, you know, they were more social. And one of my friends, this was at Brown and she said, Every time she asked me to hang out, I was basically reading. So I found a really beautiful place to read. I went to the Rhode Island School of Design and they had this gorgeous library. I mean, find the most beautiful place that you can, the most comfortable place where you can just be there for hours. And it's something I probably could have done more of, but embrace reading because that's how you're going to be as good as you can. And that's how you're actually going to absorb more when you're there on the wards. And now since we're all isolated anyway, I mean, take advantage of that time in a way that you can. And that is always going to be an important part of medical training. And I agree the videos and everything are definitely adjunctive. So definitely it will give you a little break, but at the end of the day, you know, succeeding in something in training, I mean, it, it does take going home and reading. You can't pop on the Netflix. I'm sorry to say, or if you do, you have to be disciplined and just, it has to be, you know, one 30 minute show or something like that. You, because you do need to have time for self-care. I self-care for me, I saved time by riding my bike to the hospital. So I didn't have to make a whole special production of going to the gym or anything. I mean, these are some of the things I did to get by in training where you might not do that for your whole life, but it works for that time when you're under duress and you really have a lot of responsibilities to learn. So I used to stack sandwiches in the freezer and I would just make them like an assembly line. I mean, these were all the things I did to save time. So just basically, you know, because you need, and that allows you time to maybe go do something fun on the weekend because you saved time in these other little ways. So I think, you know, just embracing, it's a hard time, but it is a finite time. And as far as, you know, keeping track of your Netflix time, your leisure time, there are a lot of planning and productivity type skills out there. We actually cover quite a few of them on my other show, the Medical Nemesis podcast. So for students that might have some issue with that discipline, which I do sometimes too, just get stuck in Netflix binge. 
know, you could set an alarm beforehand. You can do something to make sure, all right, when the alarm goes off, I need to get back to studying. Make sure you don't lose track of the entire day as we tend to do right now. And the other thing is make sure that it's actually recharging you because there are some activities that don't recharge you, like say scrolling on social media. I can find that, you know, people talk about being just look up and it's 30 minutes later and you can be tired and just scrolling mindlessly. It's a like prime time to scroll is when you're kind of, your brain is tired in my experience. And what I've learned to do a little bit instead is try to be more mindful of that and also pick up like a meditation app instead. So if I'm tired, I can actually, you know, if I know I just have 15 minutes and I feel like I need a recharge rather than going to the kitchen for a cupcake or like doing something I'd rather just my kind of primitive part of the brain would tell me to do. I try to just lay down, close my eyes and I'll listen to like a 10 minute meditation. So there are free apps you can use. And I found that actually helps me recharge. And it's really good if you just have like a little snippet of time. Agreed. Definitely love the meditation breaks and whether you know your own or use one of the free apps, plenty of resources out there for students to use if they don't have a current practice in place for that. Yeah, I use Insight Timer. It's free and you could filter by time. So it's perfect for medical professionals because you could just, you say, oh, I only have five minutes and I'm going to manifest <laughs> something. <laughs> so you can filter. Insight Timer. I think we'll add those to the show notes as well, along with your book and your blog. And I think we've covered a lot of great material here so far. Do you think there are any last minute recommendations or resources for the audience? Absolutely. I have lots of resources on my blog. So if you go to tiredsuperheroine.com, one of them is an audio that I recorded and it was meant to be a talk that got canceled for COVID for the medical student scholars at the Society of Interventional Radiology. And so kind of the bones of this talk became this audio. And it's about, I speak a lot about a bunch of the different failures I encountered along the path to becoming a physician leader and what I learned from each of them. So it's very raw, kind of like relatable, I think, resource. And people can get that on my blog when they click on this little red coffee mug. It's called Seven Things to Keep You Going Strong. So to me, that's just kind of my holding your hand from a distance <laughs> for when you have a really hard day, that audio might help you. And then I also have, you know, if people want to get involved, start find a mentor or a research project to get involved in. I link a bunch of resources on the Society of Interventional Radiology website. And even if you're not sure if you're going to be an IR or an anesthesiologist or a surgeon, you can get plugged into a community and learn a lot just by getting involved in societies like these. I just speak, you know, you may not want to get involved in my society, but you may want to get involved in another. And I speak to the benefits of that. Perfect. And then if the audience wants to reach out to you personally? Yeah, you can reach me through my website. I'm on Twitter at T Superheroine and on Instagram at Tired Superheroine. Feel free to email me through my website as well. My email is tiredsuperheroine at gmail.com. We've covered some great material here. We definitely have a lot of links and resources for the audience in the show notes of this episode. Sounds like you have some great blog posts and other resources on your website. So I hope that the audience can go check those out and check your book, Save Lives, Enjoy Your Own, Finding Your Place in Medicine. But Dr. Barbara Hamilton, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. 
To access med school coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.